when I was a kid in youth group, um, we were trained to be hardcore evangelists in our high schools. The fear of someone going to hell was driven home over and over again, and we were told it was our responsibility to evangelize them or else. We were told this was the was pretty much the whole of the gospel message. And the Great Commission, which Caleb just read, thank you, Caleb, um, told us to go and make disciples, which translated in that faith to, to save them so they could be baptized and be saved. I remember one speaker drawing a block of desks on a chalkboard. He showed our desk in the middle and the other desks around us and told us this was our opportunity. This was our mission field, our commission. It was to save the people around us in our classes because the assumption was that everybody but us who were sitting in that room at that time needed to be saved. If you were surrounded on all sides in one class, that was eight people that you could witness to. If you had six classes a day, let's say, then that means that you could save 48 people in a year. And of course, then he multiplied it by an average number in a youth group and by all the people that were attending this conference. I took that to heart. I mean, you give me a job, you give me a rule to follow, you commission me to do something, and my personality is going to hold tight to that. I believed it was my job to save people. It was what Jesus had commissioned me to do, and, and I did witness, like, like a faithful youth group member of the 90s. I pulled out my Bible, and I asked people if they died tonight. I'm sorry, I'm just picturing it. If they died tonight, would they go to heaven or hell? High school charity was really earnest. Not all the time, but, th but there were a few times that I was paired or, or seated near someone whose life was clearly different from mine. And so I became certain that they had never heard of this Jesus. But in that way, and in, in asking those kinds of judging questions, of assuming that all they needed was to say magic words and be saved, I was keeping my distance from them. I could swoop in and save the day and then go back to my own life with an extra jewel in my crown, as we like to say. Or at other times, I saw the great commission I was given to just be nice to everyone. That's how you saved other people, to kill them with kindness. It didn't matter if it was genuine. I was just to be nice. I was to play this role as a nice person in the world. And by seeing my role as, as being a nice person, again, I could keep a distance from everyone. It was much less messy to just be nice to people. Throughout history, people have interpreted this Great Commission passage to mean a lot of different things. And whether they use the Great Commission as the language for it, um, it's this understanding that we are right and you are wrong. And it's our job, our destiny, to find those who are right, uh, and under authority to punish those who are not like us. Many believe that that rather than Constantine really believing that believing in Christianity, he felt it best suited his needs as a faith that supported imperial rule, rule by a king. Whether that's true or not, he did have a Christian symbol of the day painted on his army's shields as they went into battle, taking over other lands, plundering, making himself their ruler. 
The Crusades were said to be a battle for Christianity against the Muslims, but but it's widely known that they were probably more about the goal to, to take back land and control. Think of the witch hunts of early colonial America. The idea was that any behavior that didn't fit the norm, any person that wasn't liked by the community or or did something they didn't agree with, was marked as a witch and most often brutally killed, all in the name of Jesus, or, or so they said. I even read this morning, I'm, I'm adding this in here, about our lieutenant governor here in North Carolina, who this week was trying to incite Christians by saying that the left uh, was trying to use the coronavirus to test how much they could get away with, that they were trying to shut down the churches. And that's why they weren't letting us worship, um, but they were letting stores open. um, And they were just trying to see what they could get away with because they wanted to close the churches. We have used the Bible and the authority of Jesus to support racism, social injustice, hate crimes, homophobia, discrimination, and all because we had authority. We have boiled down this radical gospel to a fight for being right and an entitlement to do what we want. Craig Coaster, a professor of New Testament, said, when I was in college, a professor made some comments in one of my religion classes that prompted me to ask what he meant by the word authority. Perhaps it was one of those attempts by a college sophomore to press a point in a matter that sounded profound. Perhaps it reflected a genuine desire to grasp something that I had not fully understood. But the professor responded with a single word, that brought a level of clarity I've never forgotten. He said, authority is followability. Followability. He probably coined the word on the spot, but it did what it needed to do. True authority is what gives people the confidence to follow. And this is what Jesus says about himself in this passage. Jesus has the authority, has the victory. That is the good word in here. Rome, the most powerful political force in the world at this time, tried to take him down with their most powerful, most visible form of punishment, their most cruel display of power, and it didn't stick. Here in Matthew, we have Jesus gathering with his disciples and giving them a final command. Go and make disciples. Make disciples like like these disciples, like Jesus had done. And how did Jesus make these disciples that he has right here? He was in relationship with them. This ragtag bunch that were more often not educated came from different backgrounds. They did not seem to get it over and over again, but but really that is just because they were human. Here, even at this moment, we're told that some worshipped and some doubted. And while that may refer to different groups of people that were present, it, it, my guess is that it was probably a mix of, of what was going on inside of all of them. Because that's a thread throughout Matthew's gospel. Faith and worship mixed together with a doubt. They can both exist at the same time. He spoke about what was true and he lived it out. And then he invited them into spreading that to others. 
some of the teachings that they heard uh, preached in word and deed were, were like this. Just in Matthew, I flipped through the book to, to get some of what Jesus is teaching these disciples, how he's making these disciples. He talks of um, how blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. He tells us that we're to be salt and light in the world. He took the Ten Commandments and took them a step further. Don't commit murder, but also don't do anything out of anger and don't speak ill of others. Don't even come to me in worship and sacrifice if, if you need to go and ask forgiveness from another. Don't covet or commit adultery, but, but also don't harbor or dwell on lust in your heart, for it's the same thing. Don't retaliate, but love your enemies. Give quietly and perform prayers and spiritual disciplines like fasting and quiet and enjoy. Don't worry and judge others. And everything you do to others, do it as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Actually, when asked what is the greatest commandment, the Christian New Testament depicts Jesus paraphrasing the Torah, those books of law that, that the Jews were given early on. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Before that, also paraphrasing a, a second passage, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it meant to be a disciple. To hear these words, to see Jesus live them out, to be called on to repent of the times that we don't love God with our full hearts, minds, and souls. It's to be called on to, to repent of the times that we don't love ourselves and love our neighbors with our hearts, souls, and minds. I think a lot of what I did in my early years of faith were done out of fear, out of rightness, and out of guilt, not out of love. What difference would it make if Christians were better at loving? This week, our youth walked through Psalm 23 and we we rewrote the words to give them new life to speak to today. If I could rewrite this great commission to give it new life that speaks to today, it would read all authority is given to me, to Jesus. And with it, I commission you go into all the world into the grocery stores, into the schools, into the gyms, the doctor offices, the places of work, the, the highways in your car and your families. Make disciples. Teach them by showing what it means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love yourself and others in the same way. Baptize them with water, with love, with a call to action, to a new way of living. Teach them to obey, to obey all that I have said here in these words, doing everything for others as you would have them to do for you. And know that I am always with you. May it be so. Let's pray.
how we tend to make Christianity and our beliefs. We compromise the really powerful things you command us to do and to be in this world into something that we feel is more culturally appropriate. God, help us to love you, to love ourselves, and to love other people with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, out of humility. Help us to teach others to make disciples by the radical way in which we live and we love. We often don't like to talk about repent, um, God, but help us to repent of the times that we do not worship you. We don't serve you. We don't live for you with all that we are, that we don't live for others, that we don't live even for ourselves, for discovering who you've created us to be. God, we thank you for the gift of your presence with us always as we go into the world. God, help us this week as we go about our daily lives with our families, with our jobs, to the grocery stores, driving on the roads, with everything that we do, to know that you are present with us. Give us eyes to see the world as you see it. Help us to be radical about the way that we live out our faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen.